I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. And I don't know about everybody out there, but I feel like it's time to talk about video games. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week on the show, we're talking about all the ingrained video game knowledge we take for granted, but the new players might not have. We also talk Kentucky Route Zero, Final Fantasy VII padding, and the Resident Evil 3 remake. Maddie, Jason, it's been a long time coming, and here we are. We're making a new show. We did it. We are. It's a brand new day. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy cow. Here we are doing kind of the same thing. Totally new location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're in a new recording studio. You know, I know, we got it's all this. brand new. I'm, I'm in a completely different gamer chair than the gamer chair I normally sit <laughs> She's in. She's lying. Maddie's lying. Maddie's in the same gamer <laughs> nope. chair as same always. Gamer chair, all the same gamer chair, same little places. headrest. It's so comfy. You will be listening to the same people, same dumb jokes, <laughs> new podcast feed. <laughs> That's true. Brand new title. Welcome to Triple Click. How do you know the jokes are going to be dumb? They might be totally good now. Well, we don't they'll know. be dumb in a good way. I've been working on my jokes, so I've got got my gamer joke book here. I'm ready to go. Have you? Have you been? You've been hitting the open mic scene. You've been performing <laughs> yeah. in the comedy cellar. Yeah, getting my tight ten together. It's yeah, uh, it's nice. a pretty exciting time for uh, for me and video game jokes. Triple click, triple click, triple click, triple click. So uh, we should tell everybody that. So for those of you who are new listeners, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving us a chance. For those of us who are coming over from the world of Kotaku Split Screen, you should know that we're trying some new things this time. We are going to try with some try some experiments, try some experimental formats, do some cool new things that the three of us are all really, really excited about. Yes, we are very we are very psyched about it. It's going to be maybe a little bit more focused of a show. <laughs> That's our promise. More focused. More but focused. But all the same personal jokes from Kontaku Split Screen, which we yes, refuse to let die. Same unfocused jokes. More focused show, unfocused jokes. Um, yep. that's, a good, that's a good way of looking at it. So before we get started, thank you so much to everybody uh, who responded to the announcement of the show. It was very exciting. It was cool to hear from so many people who are excited that we're doing something new. And uh, I don't know, that just felt really good. So thanks yeah. thanks to all of you who are out there listening. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody. Yeah, that was cool. And also a special thanks to people at Maximum Fun who have been super great as we've been putting this show together. It was a lot of work getting this launch off the ground. And a lot mm-hmm. of people helped with that. In particular, thanks to Bikram Chatterjee, Laura Swisher, Dan Daniel Barwella and everybody else at Max Fun. And a special shout out to Tom DJ, who made our killer show art. It's yes. so good. Thanks, Tom. It looks awesome. Extremely good. And thanks to Kirk for making our killer intro music. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, sure. Cheers. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people, some people have already started asking us, how can we support the show? And that is awesome to hear. I love to hear when people yes. are like, oh, how can we support you? By all means, support the show. <laughs> two ways, two big ways of supporting the show. Um, one is you can become a Max Fun member, which is basically. Basically, some of you already are. If you're not, you go to maximumfund.org slash join and you pick a tier and then you can select triple click is one of the shows you listen to. You just check it check it on your little list of shows and you'll be supporting us. And in addition to knowing, like having that that beautiful feeling inside, that, that warm <laughs> feeling that you are supporting your favorite podcast. So generous. You will also get bonus episodes. We have some cool some cool things planned that we will we talk do. about down the line. Exciting. And other Max Fun bonus stuff. So you get a lot of cool stuff. Um, but the other way of supporting the show, and this is way more important right now for us as just kind of like a brand new podcast starting out, 
go tell your friends share the story the the yes. podcast on social media and just tell people get us the word out post it on your favorite message boards and internet social network <laughs> websites you know internet social networks internet yes. social networks definitely those. you know we also have some of those ourselves by the we way do. we're triple click pod on twitter and so you can follow us on social media internet if you want to but you just sure as an additional thing we have a brand new email address which is triple click at maximumfun.org and you should yes. definitely email us because in this our pilot episode we are actually doing a topic inspired by an email from a listener so that's how you make the magic happen folks you send us an email talk about a segue well let's get into our main segment for this episode so on this episode, we are going to be talking about our gaming assumptions. And the reason for that is we are living in a pretty weird time where a lot of people are trapped at home and a lot of people are playing video games that maybe didn't play video games before. And also a lot of people who do play video games are maybe playing video games with their partners, their mm-hmm. roommates. Or trying some new games they've never tried before, branching out, trying those new genres that they've never tried and realizing they don't know what the heck they're doing. Yes, we have a lot of downtime. I am describing myself. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of downtime and uh, there's it's caused a lot of us to sort of question some of our gaming assumptions, some of the ingrained knowledge that we have from playing a lot of video games. And because the three of us have played so many video games, we thought that might be a fun thing to talk about. So we have an email here that um, we want to kind of use as a prompt. Uh, Maddie, how about you read this email? Sure. So this email is from Thorkild, who writes, Hey, me and my girlfriend are, as many others, spending an awful amount of time at home in front of the TV these days. She is not much of a gamer, but after watching hours and hours of horrible TV shows, she finally agreed trying some of my favorite games on my PS4. While guiding her through, I noticed that she lacks what I will refer to as basic gaming knowledge. Like in Crash Bandicoot, I go, of course you can't stand on top of a meat-eating plant forever because it will eventually snap and eat you. In Uncharted, I yell at her, you obviously have to shoot shoot down the rockets that the helicopter is firing at you before hitting the helicopter. These are things that I feel are basic knowledge, but her playing made me realize how stupid some of them actually are. Have you got your own examples of these basic gaming knowledges that come naturally to you, but are in reality pretty stupid when you think about them? Yes. Um, (laughs) Because I've played any game at all. Yes, I have millions of these, and they're all normal, actually. I love the example of shooting the rockets from the helicopter, because that is such a video games thing. It's like, well, yeah, if a, if a helicopter was shooting rockets at me, I mean, I would shoot the rockets out of the air with my pistol first. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I would shoot the helicopter. But also, you do know that the helicopter isn't going to stop shooting rockets at you right. until you shoot the helicopter. I feel like mm-hmm. the, the JRPG version of this is like the boss that's spawning minions at you. You have to kill the boss, but mm-hmm. like, eh. anyway, I'm playing Persona 5. Who can tell? <laughs> me. <laughs> my wife, I remember the first time she played a 2D Mario game, I, she was walking and most people who have played Mario know to like hold Y to run while yes. they play. In fact, Kirk, I think you might have had this problem too. And I get so frustrated mm-hmm. watching someone play 2D Mario games when they're not running the whole time. They're not just holding <laughs> Y or B or whatever it yes. is to yeah. run the whole time because that's how you're supposed to play. You're not supposed to just like plod. I mean, you can. You can walk. You can just appreciate the fine not scenery. Not play. Of- <laughs> the problem with Mario is that there's a timer. There's a yes. timer for a reason. <laughs> Um, I do remember that. I think when you and I were streaming and I was, it's not something I think of naturally in a side scroller is that you want to run, but that is Mm. definitely an ingrained Mario thing. I have an ingrained Mario thing as well. 
And that's that you always go left at the beginning of the level. I feel like that's such an ingrained no, thing. No, you always go right. I feel like that's an ingrained Metroid lesson. Because if you go left at the beginning, that means you're going to go get an upgrade because Correct. Samus nearly always can find some secret thing if you go left instead of right. But right. that's not always a Mario thing. Do you always no, go yeah, left yeah, at yeah. the beginning of a no, Mario? Mario, you always go right. You don't go left in Mario. Yeah, what? I know that the level goes right. <laughs> What is direction? <laughs> the first thing that you do when you start playing a side-scrolling game is see if you can go left. Because oh, if you can go I left, there will be something over there. Are you talking about Mario's left? I'm, I think I'm getting it now. Like, he's turning left and you're going left. <laughs> right. What? Whereas in, right. in my mind, no, he's going No, to Kirk right. is saying that sometimes there's a secret if you go to the left. Oh. Or like, you see if, like in Donkey Kong Country, if you go to the left and jump on his house, you'll get an yeah. extra life. Exactly. Same thing. And in fact, that's a very good example. I remember playing Donkey yeah. Kong Country and being like... Oh, I found a secret over there because, of course, I just naturally thought, well, I know the level is telling me to go right, right. but I'm going to go but left. you're going you to try going the alternate path. Right. I mean, that's true in a lot of games. Well, so that's a very experienced video game player thing is to like inherently exactly. want to break the game and not play by mm-hmm. the rules. The most immediate thing that comes to mind, and I think something that I'm sure many of our listeners are struggling with or have partners or roommates who are struggling with, is the dual joystick thing. Because that yes. is the biggest hiccup that all new gamers have mm-hmm. is con- knowing that that. That one joystick controls the camera and the other joystick controls your movement and trying to master using them both at once. It takes a lot of skill that like you really need to have spent hours mastering. Muscle memory, I should say. I don't think it's skill. I think it's just a learning curve. Like, I think mm-hmm. anyone can learn how to do it. It's just that yeah. you have to force your brain to learn how to do it. And yeah. a lot of people, like, if you don't know how to play a game with a controller, then just that initial learning curve is is a hurdle. And I mm-hmm. I can see why. It sucks to have to learn how to do that. I went from playing Counter-Strike to having to learn how to play Halo as a teenager. And it was not pleasant. Didn't And now I get it. But So I came up as a PC gamer and had the same experience. with It was specifically Halo because I was yep. like, okay, finally, there's a worthwhile first-person shooter. <laughs> shooter on consoles that I'm going to play. Did you think it was? Did you find it worthwhile? I did. Well, I played through it with a friend and we had a good time. It was like fun to play a split screen co-op game in that way, which I hadn't done a lot of on PC. My thing with the thumbstick, and I think that's definitely like a huge hurdle for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's partly that the thumbstick isn't a one-to-one like representation of the movement, the way that a mouse is. So when you move a mouse, if you imagine this, you're playing a first-person shooter, that your head moves exactly as much as the mouse moves. And when you get to the edge of the mouse pad, your head stops moving and you have to move your mouse over again. This is why elite pro gamers play with mouse pads that are like the size of a tablecloth. Yes, and they use their entire forearm exactly. sweeping across the tablecloth right. every time they, they move. Because it gives them that fine degree of control. Or you're Gregory in Overwatch League and you have your sensitivity turned way up and you're barely moving right. it at all. There That's are two true. forms of pro gamer and those are they. Continue. Some people, yes, some people play with a high sensitivity. But basically, you want to move the mouse and it moves one-to-one with your head and you can't, you have to pick the mouse back up and move it back to the middle of the mouse pad. With a thumbstick, you just move the thumbstick to the right, to the edge of the, like, whatever, the axis of the thumbstick, and then your head just keeps going, which is weird and a really significant difference that I never think about. I think it was like an old episode of Idle Thumbs or something. They started talking about this, and I'd never thought about the concept before, and it kind of blew my mind because I just, it was so natural to me. I was like, oh, yeah, the thumbsticks are just different, but when I was learning, coming from being a PC gamer, it definitely was something that just made 
made me part sometimes maybe nauseous. I think that's part of why people get nauseous playing with a controller yeah, because you're sure. not you're just holding down a button and it's moving on its own instead of like you're physically in control of it. So I think that's part of the the challenge. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know you can invert the axes as well. Mm-hmm. Like I'm one of those weirdos who likes to invert the the Y axis every time I play. You're not something. weird. You're normal. I'm, I'm you and I are normal. normal. See, look, and two out of three of us are <laughs> inverters. That means we're the majority. You must disgust me. <laughs> it has something to do with how you interpret how your own head moves, though, Jason. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, it, it has to do with yes. whether you picture the axis of the joystick being on the back of your head to like look mm-hmm. up, which is how I picture it, or the front right. of your head. And that analogy is great is this for a psychological because thing? I'm using my finger to point to the front and back of my head, and it's not helping at but wait, 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 is that is that actual thing? I've never heard. Yes, this it before. is. Yes, That's it is. I yep. will send you the documentation about this. It is oh, a thing. That is done the reading. There are studies, and there are people. I gotta do my reading on inverted controls. Yeah, there are people who have a brain like my brain, where using inverted mm-hmm. controls is the way that it makes logical sense to them. And there are people who have your brain, Jason, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. But the, those people the, also exist. The less good brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, so based on this conversation, I am. Uh, I guess I can only assume that people who have normal brains are just right. smarter than people who have inverted. <laughs> I brains. do always. I do object to it being normal and inverted. Like you're weird if you invert. <laughs> But they don't. You do have to change the setting every time. Like games do think I'm weird for doing this. They've chosen. I feel oppressed. <laughs> Between this and being left-handed, I'm just. <laughs> You're just life hosed. is so hard. Well, if it makes you feel better, I often have to revert the settings whenever I play a game that Steven Totillo has just played because he fiddles with the controls and makes it all inverted. Right, because right. he plays correctly. Our friend Steven Totillo also <laughs> inverts controls. The way that I the way I imagine this, this is a helpful thing that someone used to describe it is the value. Man, if you've played a Valve game, those games uh-huh. begin with this large bald man with a valve on the back of yes. his head, as, or sorry, a, a, a like, <laughs> what is it like a a faucet? He's like the equivalent of the lion that roars before a movie, but yes. for Valve. So he has like a faucet valve on the back of his head. That's the joystick, his fa- faucet. Well, thing. And so you have to think of it as for starters, playing the new VR game, he is there, and the game starts, and you're standing in front of him, and he's gigantic. This is Half Life Alex, the VR game. In Half Life Alex. Yes. Wait, you you can walk up to that guy? No, is he a you character? can't move. You can't move, but it starts in VR and he's there and then he starts turning his head toward you right as it fades away and it's really scary. Oh, I don't like that. Okay, but the way to think of it and someone described it to me, I thought this was helpful is that right, like you said, Maddie, if you play inverted, you're holding onto the valve on the back of that guy's head and turning mm-hmm. his head yes. up and down to make him look. It's also how like a camera, like a camera uh, dolly works. Is it a dolly? Yes, Is that the yes. Word? Exactly. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the the weird visual language of video games that I think uh, those mm. of us who have grown up and like have played games for decades just kind of inherently know, but new players might not. So stuff like and and you guys have mentioned a few things in this list we prepared, but like things that like being able to tell whether a crack in a wall is meaningful or whether a door can be opened <laughs> or whether yes. a box can be broken or even just like inherent rules that you learn in like a Mario game, like a star turns you invincible which I think most people know Mm -hmm. at this point, but even that is just silly, right? Like a mushroom makes you stronger. Food gives you health in games. Turkey legs in Castlevania. Like you always want to look in the trash for food because that Uh gives you health. Bioshock Infinite, you go around hunting. You always want to look in a toilet for items? Always look in the toilet. (laughs) Yeah, well, so so much of this stuff is so silly, but it also is just so much of like what we've accepted as part of games. Um, And then some of 
it is clever. There's some really clever stuff the designers have learned to do, like ways to draw the player's eye to something and get them right. to be curious about something mm-hmm. and go find for something. Or like hint at something. There's a scene in Final Fantasy VII um, in Aerith's church and you see a materia in one of the cutscenes and it's just tempting you because you can't actually go back to the church and get it. Like it's it's as you leave, you see it like mm. glimming there and it, yep. it gets stuck in your head the entire time and you're like, oh, I got to go back at some point and get that materia and then finally you have the chance later to <laughs> That's do That's true. That's like a Dark Souls thing too. Like the, mm-hmm. the And you have to know that if you don't know that this is a thing, you might see that and think, oh, well, surely I can get to that. And that still is a problem for me sometimes in games where I think, am I supposed to be able to get this or not? Yeah. And it, But it is a specific thing where you just know, okay, I'm not supposed to get that. The game is just showing me it so that I have to come back and get it later. Uh-huh. There's also, you're talking about clever things that developers are doing and how some of these literacies are us getting used to the ways that game developers are like cleverly doing various things. A lot of what they're doing is hiding limitations and creating a world that feels bigger than it is. And that's, I've heard so many stories of people who will be playing Grand Theft Auto, like GTA five or something. They'll give the controller to someone who doesn't play a lot of games. And the person will like walk up to the first house and think, well, why can't I go into this house? Uh And it's because whatever, 95% of the houses in Grand Theft Auto five look real, but they're just totally, you know, fake houses. Mm -hmm. Uh One funny rule on that, that actually Half-Life Alex makes me think of, but a lot of games have this is if there's a knob on the door, you can open it. Mm -hmm. But if there's no knob, if it's like a flat texture on the door you can't and you yep. just kind of learn that and in that game you literally you'll be looking around there's 10 doors and one has an knob. you're like okay well clearly i'm supposed to go through that one but why like you only know that because you've played video games for however many years yeah well i don't know it might be something that you can kind of pick up with basic pattern recognition at a certain mm. point but yeah um um and by the way total side note i think that like one of the things we'll be able to see with next gen games like when, once they have ssds uh, in on the consoles is houses that you can actually go inside without More loading doorknobs. times and like right. way, everything way higher textures in. on those doorknobs um, and all the doorknobs knobs on every door yeah, way prettier doorknobs um <laughs> yeah so i'm curious to hear and maddie why don't you start what are you what are like some rules some like visual design rules or like game rules that you would tell someone like what do you tell your girlfriend when she's playing a game <laughs> that she like has to understand as part of like the language of a game yeah she's get, been getting way into games now and i'm trying to act like that's cool and normal and not like i'm really excited that under quarantine she's getting like, way into video secretly games. you're like yes yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like she's playing a bunch of pc games because she's she doesn't know how to use a controller and is very intimidated by learning which i think many people are because they're kind of terrible and make no sense and it's just like a dumb skill you teach your brain how to do so mm-hmm. i feel like pc games there's a there's a lower learning curve for that but so she didn't know that you can use wasd in order to move around in games because it's become so ingrained in pc games that they no longer tell you that there's still right. games out there that are like you boot up the game for the first time and it tells you that you can use WASD or WASD as I mm-hmm. say to of course because you're a because you're a true PC gamer I am a true PC gamer so <laughs> she was playing this game figment which is like a platformer game it's really cool art style indie game I think and she's using the arrow keys to move but you can use Q and E in that game to like do various other things because those keys are right next to WASD and she's like the controls for this game are really stupid like look at look at all this absurd stuff I'm doing like I have mm-hmm. to like move my hand all the way over here to do this and I was like well so uh it, it turns out <laughs> it turns out that you 
you could be using W, A, S, and D to move around. And then you only really need the one hand to control the game. But why would she know that? No, like, right. why on earth would those be the keys? Oh, man. It doesn't I, make I any sense. I would give someone a controller for their first PC gaming I, stuff. I mean, not, I guess, but... It's such a function of the way that these things have evolved. All these things we're talking about yeah. are, but definitely PC controls because the mouse and keyboard were, like, not designed for playing yeah, video games specifically. They're really not. I mean, they're, and so you're using them in this way. Yeah. They're really not. And, like, using WASD isn't that comfortable, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's fine. No, it's not great. That's why, yeah, I always use, I just use a DualShock on my on my PC whenever I'm playing games on there. Yeah, because well, you, you don't care about winning what? multiplayer yeah, games. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm okay. playing like StarCraft With- too, I'll use a mouse and keyboard, but for most of like the action games and the, anything, uh, Kirk had Jason, a good rule of thumb. when you play Destiny, are you using a controller? I sure am. That's it's got what? that game has good control. It's and, and it's really, defense. Yeah, Destiny is really good. It has but, good. It's it's way better with a mouse and keyboard. <laughs> I, that's because I'm. That's because I spent three years playing it on PS4 before I switched to PC. Yeah, yeah. So I would okay. never be able to switch to anything else for Destiny. Like my muscle memory, I spent hundreds of hours playing with PS4 controls for that game. But um, yeah, uh, Kirk has a good rule of thumb for PC gaming, which is mouse and keyboard for first person, um, controller for a third person. Right. And right. I think that's, that's the best way to yeah. go. But with a new player, like if I gave the controller to my wife, I would, de- or if I had her play something on the PC, I would definitely give her a controller. I don't think she would. Mm-hmm. I think the PC keyboard is overall. Yeah, I feel like the counterpoint here is that the other game she's playing is Gone Home, which she has just immediately understood. Because that mm-hmm. is a game where you actually can click on everything that you would want to be able to click on and walk mm-hmm. around this world. Like it it almost feels like a game that's designed for the person who plays Half-Life Alex and is like, why can't I open this door? Or is like trying to break Grand Theft Auto. So I'm actually I'm curious about that. I'm curious if there's anything that like you would think that she would pick up on based on what you know about games in something like Gone Home that she hasn't picked up on. Like has she not realized that like everything that glows is something you can interact with or something like that. She's figured that out, but she's definitely like, God, let's talk about my girlfriend for six hours, guys. Okay. <laughs> let's sure. psychoanalyze her. So like <laughs> she, she definitely is just going through gone home and having all the wonderful experiences that everyone has where, you know how you turn on every single light in the house in order to of remember course. which room you were in. And then you get yes. to the bulletin board that has the note on it that says, stop leaving lights on. And she excitedly <laughs> turns to me and she's like, I've been leaving the lights on. <laughs> what a crazy coincidence. And I'm like, yeah, like that is a crazy coincidence but it is also a crazy coincidence for which the game was right. designed is it, like is it a coincidence I kind of it, it it's like that's just what the game knows that's how that they you're get you do. right exactly exactly but it doesn't make it any less magical and it's like right. it's very endearing to me that she finds it magical because I'm a condescending asshole <laughs> <And> <laughs> let's talk about something I'm bad at or that Kirk is bad at because we also have these problems too when this we play true. games Kirk I'm curious about the rules that you would want to tell someone who's new into gaming who just entered the quarantine gaming world. Yeah. Well, so Emily has been playing Animal Crossing and she's picked it up pretty fast. That's actually given me an appreciation for how approachable Animal Crossing is as a game. Like, yeah. it, there are definitely parts... Is it, though? Because I don't understand anything in that well, game. <laughs> there's, right, because there's kind of like the the high level of Animal Crossing and the low level of it. Once you understand that there's, there's basically just one button to do stuff with any of your tools, once you know which buttons to press to get things, it's actually mm-hmm. pretty easy to figure out where to go. The things that have required explanation are usually like the things I have to Google. All yeah. the min-maxing shit, the, the fact that there's this... <laughs> if you want to do well, that. Well, right, and like to say, well, okay, if we if we really want to make money, don't sell your insects to the store. You want to save them all because there's going to be this person who will show up at some point and will pay more for them. Which, how would you know that unless you saw it online? If you saw right. people talking about that little Though, dragon guy. 
But that's the thing you would know if you played a lot of Animal Crossing. And there's a lot of that stuff where I see the Abel sisters. I'm like, oh, it's Mabel. She's going to open a clothing store at some point. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I know that they're going to eventually upgrade the tent and turn it into a big building. Those are all things that you know. Well, but that's not video game like visual language. That's just like, oh, I know what the the series has done before. But if you don't. No, but it's also like like, you're watching a movie and like you've seen the previous movies. And so you know what the characters are. I don't think think it's it's quite the same as like rules that we inherently know about video games like if something is like if someone has an exclamation point over their head that means you can talk to them and they'll give you a quest like that's no of but thing. i think that it is i think it is because we're talking about like a game that you start and there's almost nothing and you're in a big empty space and it's a game about building stuff and you know just having played video games when you start there you're like all of this is temporary i'm going to be able to undo everything animal crossing actually does a good job of telling you at a few points don't worry too much about this choice you're making like where you're putting your house you'll be able to move it mm-hmm. later but it doesn't always tell you and i think if you don't innately know that a game like this is just going to let you move stuff you'll be like oh i really need to be careful about this and maybe even kind of feel a lot of anxiety where do i put my thing what do i do the more of those games you've played the more you know oh none of this is permanent this is just the first few hours this is all going to change and i think that that is a kind of a like built-in gaming knowledge that we mm. all get yeah i guess so man there's so much more there's like ui stuff there's a mini map there's how to navigate menus how saves <laughs> work there are a million things here if you can think of some gaming literacies that we didn't mention on the show shoot us a line at triple click at maximumfun.org okay let's take a break and we will be back with the second part of our show one more thing where we'll talk about some more video games we are so thrilled at your interest in attending hieronymus wiggenstaff's school for heroism and villainy Wiggenstaff's beautiful campus boasts state-of-the-art facilities and instructors with real-world experience. We are also proud to say that our alumni have gone on to be professional heroes and villains in the most renowned kingdoms in the world. But of course, you are not applying to the main school, are you? You're applying for our sidekick and henchperson annex. You will still benefit from the school's amazing campus, and you'll have a lifetime of steady employment. Of course, there's no guarantee how long that lifetime will be. Join the McRoys as they return to Dungeons & Dragons with The Adventure Zone Graduation every other Thursday on Maximum Fun or wherever podcasts are found. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right, it's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Wadiway, the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film industry. It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick! Start flexing! Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And we're back for more Triple Click. The second segment of our show each week is going to be called One More Thing. And the idea is that each of us gets to bring in one thing to talk about. Usually that thing will be a video game, but it can really be anything. The only restriction is there can only be one thing each. So we have to bring in one thing to talk about during One More Thing. Jason, why don't you start us off? What is your thing this week? Oh, man. Well, today I want to talk about the Final Fantasy VII remake, which, of course, is the (laughs) PS4 giant extravaganza remake of the 1997 classic role-playing game and we have talked about the final fantasy 7 remake before we will talk about it again and again and again and, and again, again for the next <laughs> decade uh, yeah. they're gonna keep making them this is the only game that matters we now. once promised a spoiler cast that we will deliver upon but the thing i want to talk about today is padding and so Ida thought i don't know if you guys remember mm. this but uh, uh the other day probably a few weeks ago maybe a month ago i predicted i was like actually no it was at the beginning of the year it was part of my predictions i predicted that the final fantasy 7 remake would be short and disappointing and for some reason i imagine it as like like if this is 10 hours and it feels really lean and thin and short it's going to be really mm-hmm. disappointing to people then i actually played it and it turned out to be 40 hours and full of padding and it got me thinking like why did i immediately assume that 8 to 10 hours would feel short and thin and weak and disappointing when in real in reality like i'm more disappointed by a game that feels too long than i am a game that feels too short it's almost like hmm. a podcast you want it to be a little bit leaner than that's <laughs> hmm. a good theory about podcasts but yeah it got me thinking like like we're humans are so complex complicated in so many ways and so contradictory in so many ways but like i have these simultaneous thoughts of like oh if this was shorter it wouldn't feel like a full final fantasy game but also it's got all this padding of like dungeons that are way longer than they need to be and side quests that are just tedious and boring um so i I don't know what to do with that i think maybe the 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 answer that i'm looking for is that it could have been 40 hours and not felt padded at all but also maybe i would have actually been really happy if it was like a 20 hour game and it was just nothing but meat and no padding at all yeah i'm playing through the part very early on right now in the slums where you're kind of doing these side quests that do feel Feel yeah. somewhat padded. Go find cats. You're for fighting this little girl. some rats, and then you're I fighting sure, some I, more rats. Yep, yep. <laughs> I sure just fought some rats. I wonder if maybe a good answer is. I'm thinking about The Witcher 3 here as a very long game that can become a ludicrously long game if you do all the stuff that's more patty. But that mm-hmm. stuff is very side quest, like beyond side quest even. There's like tiers of side quests in that game. There's the meaty ones. And then there's the thing that's just, if you want to just go kill five ghouls over here and kill five, you know, whatever flying harpies over here, you can just go do <laughs> that. Go but it's not presented the way that FF7 Remake kind of presents it as a little more like in the main quest line. It feels more like you're supposed to do that. So that maybe yeah. is, is one Yeah, and approach. I'm not even just talking about the side quests. It's also like some of the dungeons you have, you guys haven't gotten to yet just feel mm. a little longer than they need to be. Um, and yeah, I mean, part of it is just a game design thing. It's like a, a, a lean, a lift, or a 40 hours that are just full of nonstop incredible stuff will be even will be great but it's rare to find a game like that like most games that are kind of rpgs linear style i'm thinking of like god of war for example which is like a 20 25 hour experience maybe 30 hours if you do everything but that's non-stop good stuff like there's not a lot yeah. of padding in that game that is a very lean game and i really like that about it so yeah maybe it's just that this game could have been better about that but then again like people were already disappointed on the internet loud and vocal about being disappointed when they saw that like people myself 
included, finished the game in under 40 hours, 37 for right. me. So it's interesting. It's like you have a certain expectation from old school Final Fantasy games. That's maybe, what I was that, say, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that, and also it's the, the episodic nature of this. Also, this one is an adaptation of the first four hours of the game. So even right. the 20-hour <laughs> version of it is right. going to have not padding, but some different stuff in it no matter yeah. what. Well, like, some of it doesn't feel like padding. Some of it feels right. like genuinely good stuff. But yeah, yeah like I genuine mean, additions. part of it, a large part of this is the whole episodic nature, which just kind of changes the way you think about the game as a whole, because it's just a fraction of the story and it always is going to be. Yeah, Jason, I thought of you today because I was having a conversation with a friend who had no idea that this Final Fantasy VII was episodic. He bought the game and he had oh, no idea. And I was like, Jason exists. said this would happen to people and I didn't <laughs> think it would happen, but it happened to someone I know. The look of delight on Jason's face, despite <laughs> this being a bad thing. Was your friend... Um, he was mad. Was, <laughs> he was mad. Had he played the original? Was he like a fan of the original? No, and he had, he had not played the original and he was like, I would like to play Final Fantasy VII for the first time, please. And uh-huh. like he saw my tweets about Cloud and was like, I'm so excited to get to the stuff you were tweeting about. And I was like, you will not, my friend. Because <laughs> everything I was tweeting about will be in a game that comes out possibly 10 years from now. Like, oh, man. Sorry, man. man. Like, I mean, the good news is that Final Fantasy VII still exists. Right. I think that's what he should do. He should just play the, original, play the original game. Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of people, first of all, I think anyone who hasn't played the original won't understand the story in this one. So they'll you have to go play the original this. if they want to understand it. We'll see. We'll see what people say. Yeah, you'll see. You'll I'll see. ask my we'll friend. Where we get <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. This will be something that we talk about in the spoiler Yeah, cast. we'll talk about that later. But and for the next 10 years, yes. The original <laughs> game, I, I mentioned um, the other day on our old podcast that I was replaying the original on my Switch and one of the great things about that version, about all the new versions is that you can fast forward which makes it a lot more palatable today. Yep. Um, so I've been enjoying that and, and I'll see how much longer I stick with it but I've been enjoying what I've been playing so far. Uh, nice. Maddie, what is your thing for this week? Uh, so I beat a game called Kentucky Route Zero which is also an episodic game except folks, I waited until every single episode is <laughs> out before I finally out. got around to playing right, it because right. I I don't really like playing one episode of something and then not having to not having something else to play for several years. Although that's a way you can play this game. It started coming out in 2013 and they all came out in January of 2020 and that's when I started playing it. I have recommended playing this game in the past, but after beating it, I... I still love it, but it is so intense to be playing a game that is this sad right Mm -hmm. now in this current time. And the last time I was playing Kentucky Route Zero, I told the two of you, like, I'm in a sad state of mind. And so I really want to play this this supernatural game about it's about a trucker. He's traveling across the United States in this sort of supernatural version of the world. He's trying to make a delivery, but he can't. And he like meets skeletons and he gets in a supernatural form of death that he can never escape from and he's a tragic figure. And it's an adventure game is the best way to describe it, like a point and click adventure. It's a point and click adventure game and it's kind of like poetic. I compared it to the play Our Town at one point because it's very <laughs> good meta. Comparison. It's like a game about playing a game. You write poems in the game. Like in the last episode, this is not a spoiler, it's just something cool about it. You get to write a poem as you go. Like a character's reciting lines of a poem and you choose each of them as she as she says the poem and then the game comes up with multiple lines that will rhyme and so you can like actually compose her poem as she's performing it. Like that's the kind of stuff you do in this weird, sad game but it's Mm -hmm. also it is a game about capitalism and debt and it's a supernatural debt but it's like 
you know, there's a real economic crisis right now. And I just, I don't know. I recommend the game because it's cool, but I finished playing it and I just laid in bed and felt really sad for a while. And I don't know why I did that to myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've really been finding like there's such a media thing right now. This could probably be a topic in a future episode of this show. Right. Like finding the correct media for the exact yes. mode Ooh. of like anxiety and panic that you're feeling at this moment. Since I'm, we're all, I think we're all learning that there is like this whole like rainbow of different types of anxiety and stress. <laughs> yeah, it's not just one <laughs> and kind. Different media that will help you or hurt right. you with each. Right, and like sometimes, like you rainbow. were saying. Like sometimes you want something happy, sometimes you want something that's sad. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been watching The Wire. Like I've been rewatching The Wire. Yes. I'm finding that like oddly calming in some ways, even though it's such a dark show. But it's so real. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Avenue Five, that show Emily and I've yes. been watching it, which is about people trapped on a cruise ship, essentially. Yes. And like, there are definitely <laughs> times where that where I'm watching, I'm like, I'm not really having fun because it's like, it's kind it's of like what real. you're describing. It's just yeah. a little like, it's stressful. And everyone, like, each week they look shittier, like they're getting, because yes. everyone gets yes. more haggard. And it's a comedy. It's meant to be funny. But I'm like, it's I'm by not... the creators of Veep, Jason. You would actually yeah, yeah, really yeah. like it. I watched it. Has it. That same I watched speed. the first yeah. couple episodes. Yeah. It didn't start strong. It's gotten funnier. But it's, it's anyways, not to get into that show. It's more like yeah the idea of like do you want to play something depressing and cathartic or like escapist right. and and fun to, to distract you from the world's mm-hmm. problems that's kind of the eternal video game question and it's yeah. almost it was like encapsulated with doom eternal and animal crossing come out coming out on the same day <laughs> the like same do you want to play this yes. this intense like fast-paced like blowing things up game or do you want to play this idyllic cheerful peaceful happy animal village what's game? funny there is that there's also though a competing take that flips the whole thing around and says that actually yeah. animal crossing Crossing is this depressing, like capitalist, it's stressful, maze. and anxiety producing, right? And Doom Eternal is just this power fantasy of this ridiculous yeah, world where right. you just get to yep. blow right. everything up, which I think is really funny that you can see it. No, hundred percent. But it, it sounds like, in general, Kentucky Route Zero is maybe not the the game to play at this moment. It's super heavy. It definitely wasn't the game for me to play at this moment, even though right. I loved it and I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad it's a game that exists, which sounds like such a cornball statement to make. Like, oh, I'm glad no, this game exists. But I, I do think it it rules. And I, I think playing mm-hmm. a game that is a poem and a play. I don't think that's cornball at all. That's how I felt about Death Stranding. Like, it was not for me, but I'm glad right. it exists. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But I, I do think Kentucky Route Zero is for me. And I wish that I were playing it three months ago. But unfortunately, I played it now. Maddie, I really enjoyed watching you not take the bait on Death Stranding <laughs> right now. You're like, nope, we're making a tighter show. I'm not I'm doing not, this. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. I'm not that interested in debating Death Stranding today. I will do it in the future. <laughs> that, that was not bait. That was me trying to defend your choices, your word choice. I was trying to mm-hmm. trying to make you feel better about what you said mm-hmm. because it was not cornball. It did. It made me feel way better. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So let me. I'm actually my my thing for this week is sort of related to the to what you're talking about, Maddie. In that there are two scary games that I have played recently during this time of stress and anxiety, and they're scary in different ways, and that works very differently for me. And it's got me kind of thinking about like what kind of fear I like versus what kind that I don't. And it is definitely different in games than in movies because I do like mm-hmm. scary movies, but it's a very different thing. So those two games are the Resident Evil 3 remake, the maybe lower profile um, classic Japanese game remake that recently came out, um, and Half-Life Alex, the previously mentioned uh, Valve virtual reality game that also just came out. So 
Resident Evil 3 is, this is a remake of an old, what, PS1 game, I guess? Was that Resident Evil 3? Yeah, it's about a zombie outbreak. (laughs) You're a government worker just trying to get by in a world gone wild. That's yeah. That's that's a fair a fair encapsulation of it. So this is a hyper realistic looking, like almost photorealistic third person shooter. You're fighting against zombies. You're also relentlessly being hunted by Nemesis, who's this mm-hmm. giant monster in a trench coat. This game is I loved Resident Evil Two Remake and Resident Evil Three Remake is much more of an action game. Actually, it's less about atmosphere and like exploring a scary building and and having things come after you. It's much more about having that big Nemesis dude show up and you just have to get away from him. I'm finding the game. It's, I'm not loving it in general. I haven't played a whole ton, but I'm just sort of not in love with it the way that I loved the previous one. But part of that is because it's so hardcore and serious and like gory. And while Resident Evil is silly in that certain Resident Evil way, right. it's very po-faced also. Like it takes itself very seriously. And I've thought a lot about why Half-Life Alex, which I loved, and is also a pretty scary game. And that game is virtual reality. So you're standing there with these like huge, terrifying spiders crawling around on the ground and you're like shooting them and screaming and trying to get away from them. Zombies are actually coming at you and it's much more intense. But the tone of the game is so much funnier and there's so much more humor like breaking up the, the, the horror. And even like your protagonist, Alex, will like react to horrific things in this way that kind of matches up with how you feel that it it's really got me thinking just sort of about how tone works in horror and like the kind of horror tone that I like or don't like. I'm curious to ask the two of you if you like horror at all. Maddie, do you like horror? horror movies, I like horror, horror movies. I can really struggle with horror games, though I, I did like the original Resident Evils. They were so hard for me to play. It's also interesting to me, because you're playing the remakes, which I haven't played, right. but I played the originals, so we're like two halves of a really weird coin. Right, right. Between us, we've got it all, we've got it Where all figured it's out. It's like I'm a thousand years old, and I'm talking to you from the past. So the original Resident Evils, they were actually funny, but for the wrong reasons, where there were like strange translations of those games, which is like we're the iconic Jill sandwich line where Barry Burton like right. says to Jill like right. we want to become a Jill sandwich. That was too close. You were almost a Jill sandwich. It's like why everyone quotes it is because it's it's like Barrett's pizza line in FF7 where you're just like mm-hmm. what no one no one would say this. <laughs> like we're in a serious situation where you're all about to be killed. You're, right. you're joking around about sandwiches and the games like had that strange stilted pauses between people talking that would make them feel funny and i feel like that reduced more and more like past resident evil 4 of the original ones pre-remakes they get more and more self-serious and more and more like a horror movie where nothing all that funny happens and Mm -hmm. i think to their detriment and and i haven't played the remakes yet but based on what you're describing i feel like they would be too stressful for me because part of what makes a horror movie work or horror game work is like that tension break where something funny can happen and you have that exhale, that catharsis of like, oh, phew, it, it was just the cat or whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah, example. That's, that's, that's very true. And it, you need that. It works okay. But yeah, like I'm thinking of specifically actually the opening hours of Resident Evil 7, which are just yes. like fucking scary. <gasps> like that's just like really scary. And that game is pretty relentless and doesn't have, yeah, those moments of comedy. There's no like really a comedy comic relief character. I mean, you can try to make it funny. Like you can, you 
you could try to act like a right. guy trying to kill you with an axe right. is funny. If you do it enough times, you right. can desensitize yourself to One it. One of the few horror games that I have actually played and enjoyed is Until Dawn, which takes that, has yes. is full of that humor that you're talking about yes. in a campy way, but in an awesome way. Um, I'm cur- I find Resident Evil to be a curious series because I actually really enjoyed Resident Evil 4. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I loved Resident Evil 4, but that doesn't it's really that feel one. like a horror game. It's more of like a third person like action adventure, like shooting shooting cool stuff right. and mm-hmm. resource management type game. And there are a few jump scares here and there, I guess. But I'd say that Resident Evil 3 feels closer to that on the sort of action spectrum. Like it's less of the sort of survival you know, fear thing. And this is all just about taste and like what you're in the mood for, right? It's not even, Mm -hmm. I'm not even saying that the games don't work as well or do work as well. I was just surprised to find myself playing a VR game with amazing production values and zombies coming at me and yet feeling less stressed out by it than I did by the screen-based game with the zombies just because of the tone of the game. The one, it's just so much more oppressive and kind of intense and I'm yeah. like not in a place where I really wanted to feel that <laughs> yeah. uh, they should have written yeah. some jokes for Nemesis I think that guy has <laughs> a lot of potential he should, he should yeah. be coming in and being like knock knock I, right. I don't know he kicks down the wall oh yeah because he, he doesn't <laughs> knock the joke is that he just enters rooms without knocking That's that he, he's enough. like Kramer on Seinfeld he just bursts <laughs> in the room and he's suddenly like, in. maybe if you maybe if you mod the game so that it is Kramer would that would mm-hmm. that be anything like slap bass solo plays every time Nemesis shows up I'm sure there's a mod somewhere that makes him into Thomas the Tank. There are sexy mods for Mr. X. You could yes. consider those. Yes. The mods on this game do help. That is certainly true. At any rate, I think that's it for this episode. I think we are out of time, so we are going to wrap up our debut episode of Triple Click. We thank you all so much for listening, and we're very excited for more episodes in the future. Maddie and Jason, I'll talk to you both next week. See you next time. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.